This is Mike Elgin Radio for Monday, December 2nd, 2019. I've been thinking a lot lately about automation and autonomous systems of various kinds because basically what we're doing with artificial intelligence is we're figuring out how to make things happen without our direct involvement. And it's a slow creeping change in how we do things. One of the biggest concerns I have is with systems that artificially write for you, that basically in one way or another put words in your mouth. Google is clearly the leader in this, uh, this world, and uh, they're using their AI prowess to change lots and lots of things. And all of these changes, all of the biggest changes have happened basically this year, since the beginning of the year. Um, give you a few examples. Uh, Google announced something called Duplex uh, at last year's Google I.O., and it's really coming online this year for more people. Their phones have a feature, for example, called Screen Call. So I have a Pixel 3. Somebody calls, I can press a button, and Google's AI basically has a conversation with whoever's calling. And I can sit there and monitor it by uh, by reading the, the real-time transcript, or I can uh, push the volume up button and actually listen to the conversation. But in any event, I can sit there while my phone is having a conversation with somebody on the phone and push a few of the optional buttons. I can ask for more information. I can you know, do a number of things like that. Uh, and I'll tell you why this is... Uh, in line with some of these other technologies they're working on. So screen call is probably one of the most frequently used versions of duplex. The other thing that duplex does is it can call a restaurant and make reservations. In fact, this was the demo at, at Google IO. So you go into Google assistant, say you want to make a restaurant reservation, and it will guide you through the process of using duplex. Duplex will call. Uh, and this is after you've signaled, okay, here's how many people, here's what time, here's the date, all that stuff. So you simply tell the details and duplex makes a call, interacts with the person, uh, it uses all kinds of real time natural language techniques. It will even go um and uh and stuff like that, which people do in real life. And the person they call doesn't often know that it's a machine they're talking to. They think it's a real life person. And you can see how an engineer would love something like this, would think of something like this. Imagine, you know, you engineers tend to be, uh, you know, it's a cliche that engineers can be socially awkward. A lot of engineers are not, but... Uh, the engineering mindset tends to be introspective in their head kind of uh, people. And so you can imagine the joy that an engineer would feel where they can be behind the scenes signaling intent and, and, and not have to actually engage in the social interaction part. But, but look at how weird that is. Essentially, Humans are, in this scenario, humans are partnering with machines. The machine is doing one part, and the human is doing the other part. 
with duplex, and in fact with a lot of these new technologies that are coming online, the human is doing the machine part, signaling intent, giving the numbers, four o'clock uh, and two people, uh, or the intent of like, tell me more information. Yeah, that, that's the kind of thing that machines are good at, determining times and things, you know, just basically giving numbers, giving intent. And the machine is doing the human part. What humans are good at is interaction, forming sentences, uh, using language. So the, so the machine is doing the human part, humans doing the machine part. Okay, but it's convenient. And so, you know, that's, that's its whole benefit is that it's convenient, that it's a step toward a world in which your virtual assistant does things for you, like make restaurant reservations. Also earlier this year, Google added advanced AI-based grammar check for Google Docs. So they've all, you know, word processors have always had grammar checkers. <clears throat> but the way they used to work is there would just be this massive database of phrases to look for that people commonly get wrong. And it would go and say, hey, well, here's, you know, here's, here's is an option or some options for saying that differently. Now they're using AI and the new AI, the, the new AI based grammar check is more like language translation. In other words, it operates like Google Translate, translating from the language of bad grammar to the language of good grammar in real time. What's interesting about that is that it will evolve much more quickly. It's uh, machine translation techniques that are based on machine learning. So it's going to get really interesting for uh, Google Docs users who will have this powerful AI for fixing grammar. And Google did announce also that G Suite users will get more advanced AI grammar checking, spell checking, and they will, within the next few weeks or months, get AI-based autocorrect where you start to write something or you write something and it, it just changes it to what it thinks is right. G Suite users will also get Smart Compose, which we've been using in Gmail, where basically you start to write a sentence and as soon as it thinks it knows what the rest of the sentence will be, it will offer it and just hit the tab key and it just says, okay, accept what it guessed. So you signal intent, just like you signal intent with what time you want your restaurant reservation, but you signal the intent of your communication by starting a sentence. And Google AI will actually construct the sentence for you. So again, you're the machine signaling intent and the machine is the human crafting language. Google is also replacing the task of taking notes. Uh, the new Pixel 4 line of smartphones has something called Recorder, which is AI-based real-time translation, which happens on the phone. So you sim simply launch Recorder, and it will use the phone's microphone to capture everything that sounds like human speech and convert it into text. And so you won't have to take notes anymore if you're in college or you go to meetings or you are 
capturing notes for yourself, or you want to remember a lecture or a speech or anything, just hit recorder and all words will be captured. And, and this uh, feature is going to come to other Pixel phones, then it will come to other non-Pixel phones, and eventually, I think, it will just be a feature available in Android. That sounds awesome because taking notes is a pain in, in, in the back in the butt. But um, but we haven't really thought about what note taking is for. One of the things that you do in note taking is you record things so that you can remember them better later. But the other process that takes place during note taking is that you're thinking about and you're distilling and you're prioritizing and you're remembering. So taking notes isn't just recording what happened. Taking notes is actually thinking about what's being said, deciding at the, in the moment what is most important and running your brain through a process of of remembering, thinking about, distilling uh, what's being said. So Google AI, in rescuing us from the first task of recording, is also taking away the second task, which is the thinking about distilling, prioritizing, and remembering part. So we think we get this benefit, but actually we're losing out because we're just having the AI do it for us. The automation of speech is often lumped into the same category as other kinds of automation. So for example, if we have a robot on an assembly line that replaces a human worker, what's really happening there is that the robot is replacing another robot. In other words, a person on an assembly line who stands there all day screwing the caps on toothpaste tubes, that human is essentially, it's like the matrix. The human is being used to, 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 to function as a cog in a big machine. It's not a, it's a, it's a, not a human thing to do. It's nothing, there's nothing natural about assembly line work. It's basically that person is just there for the time being to function as a robot until a mechanical robot can be constructed to replace them. So if a human being isn't doing robot, a robot's work, that's, um, you know, that's bad in the short term for the worker who wants the job, but it's good in the long term for humanity, probably. However, when you automate speech, speech is the very thing that makes us human. It's the thing that separates from the, us from the animals. And so when you replace a human as a speaker, as a writer, you're basically taking away our humanity. So that sounds like a stretch because like what, what is being taken away? This, you know, there's these, these features are created for convenience. <clears throat> but what we have to realize is that when we automate things, when we provide digital tools to replace 
some manual task, the ability to do that manual task goes away. One example is writing, handwriting with a pen and pencil. Right? So we have keyboards, we all have phones. You know, a lot of people still take a pen and write on paper, but nothing like people used to. I mean, before email, before all that stuff, people would write letters and they were really good at it. They were really good at mechanically forming the letters with a pen. And people like me, you know, older users, um, you know, we spent the first few decades of our life writing with pens and pencils. And then we kind of stopped for the most part. And so we've lost the ability a bit. And we still do it. I mean, personally, I, I probably am at, can, can write 80% or 70% as well as I could when I was, you know, 20 but kids going into school now who start using smartphones when they're three or four or five and use tablets and smartphones and to a lesser extent laptops these days almost never have the need to write with a pen or pencil suffer from something called motor dysgraphia where they literally can't write very well. Like the, the, the actual physical act of writing is diminished. That's an example of how digital tools make us lose the ability to do things we don't really need to do anymore because it's been that task has been replaced for us. And you know, no big deal because we don't need the ability to handwrite. You know, handwriting is just a technology that was necessary for capturing words and numbers and and all that kind of stuff. Before we had machines, no big deal. There's nothing natural about writing. But the problem is that writing itself, if we lose the ability to write because computers are writing for us, if we lose the ability, the ability to construct sentences and paragraphs and, and all that kind of stuff, it's very different from losing the ability to mechanically write. Because writing isn't just writing. It's not just a chore. It's very closely connected to our ability to think. When we write something, we are essentially forming complete thoughts, putting it down and looking at it and asking ourselves, is that my thought? Is that the thought that I want to make, to say, to think? And then maybe we don't like it. We tweak it. We, we alter it. Is that the right tone? All this thinking about the things that we think about when we write are very closely connected to our ability to think. You know, Noam Chomsky uh, said on a recent podcast that I listened to this week that the main value of language is internal monologue and communicating with other people is a secondary benefit. But we think in terms of words and our ability to write sharpens and improves and develops our ability to think. And this, this thinking, this writing uh, process needs constant practice. We practice it when we write emails. We practice it when we write notes for people, when we, when we write articles, memos, 
presentations, uh, anytime we write, we're practicing the ability to form sentences. And sentences really uh, are, are everything. Sentences and paragraphs. Choosing the right word and, and developing our vocabularies enables us to think with nuance and specificity. A sentence is a complete thought. A good sentence is a complete thought. A well-constructed sentence is a well-constructed thought. A good paragraph is the articulation of an idea. A good string of paragraphs is, can be a cogent argument or a persuasive argument or a story. Or it can convey facts in a way f that enables one human being to connect and to be understood by another human being. Language is the user interface between humans. It's what binds us as a society. And if we turn that over to the, to the machines, where does that leave us? Does it, do we slowly become dumber? Just signaling intent, I want this, I want that, and then the machines construct the language, interacting with other machines and then converting that back. And I mean, it just sounds like a dystopian idiocracy. So that's why I think that, you know, automating writing and speaking is a very, very different thing from automating other things. Because that's just making us dumber. We all like to speculate about what is the big technology coming next year or in the next few years that's really going to change everything. People tend to gravitate toward things like self-driving cars and augmented reality, AI, and all the usual suspects. One of the biggest super trends that you, weirdly enough, don't hear a lot about is what I call the Internet of Autonomous Things. That phrase came into vogue in the late 90s and kind of petered out. People talk about autonomy and autonomous robots and things like that. But I think we need to bring back the Internet of Autonomous Things as a, as a phrase that we use because it's going to... It, the, the fact that these are connected autonomous things is really going to change life for lots and lots of technology professionals, anybody who's even remotely related to technology and IT or in the media or whatever are going to be affected by this. And I've also noticed that people tend to think that autonomous machines are some futuristic thing, but it is happening right now. Uh, and I'll give you a few examples. For example, the tractor company John Deere doesn't really see itself as a tractor company anymore. They see their themselves as an autonomous machines company. They recently showed off a concept sprayer. It's basically a big robot that has gigantic 18-foot booms on either side. And you set it up and turn it loose on a gigantic field. And it will spray that field with herbicides or pesticides or both without a human on the machine, without a human remote controlling the machine. The machine does it by itself. They're also partnering with an autonomous drone startup called Volocopter. And they're building a crop dusting drone that is autonomous. 
the farm of the future is going to look a lot like the farms in this <laughs> depressingly it's going to look a lot like the farms in the most recent uh blade runner movie fairly autonomous and robotic a company called cambridge consultants from the uk has built a robot called Mammoth, which basically uh, just roams around on farms by itself, collecting data on the health and yield of crops. So it runs a bunch of tests. It does this 24-7 until it needs to recharge its batteries or whatever, and it comes back. And, you know, so it has to be maintained, but it, it is essentially anonymous, uh, autonomous. It is essentially autonomous in how it, uh, it does its work, the work of a farmer. You know, farmers... Are, typically walk around their farms and check on the plants to see how they're doing. A company called New Leader uh, during the summer uh, rolled out a product called NL5000 G5 Crop Nutrient Applicator. It's an autonomous robot that fertilizes crops. So farming uh, is being turned over to autonomy over time. Again, the vast majority of farms are not running autonomously, but this is a trend and these products are real and they're, they're coming online uh, this year or they're already in operation. Uh, and while our crops are being grown autonomously, they are increasingly being made autonomously. There's a French robot pizza restaurant called Pazzi, which uh, gives customers touchscreens. You go in and you, you poke at the touch screens until you've placed your order and then robots will assemble and bake the pizza at a rate of two pizzas per minute uh, in the united states there's all kinds of fast casual places popping up that are uh offering food made by autonomous machines companies like spice and cali burger creator cafe x brigo the last two are coffee companies uh, they they, the, the robots make coffee. Uh, AT&T is actually partnered with a company called Badger Technologies on a robot that is designed to roam through grocery store shelves looking for out-of-stock items, uh, looking for spills, you know, and, you know, clean up on aisle three, that sort of thing. Uh, it won't clean up the spills. That's the job for another robot. But the uh, Badger Technologies robot uh, will identify messes, problems, anything that's amiss, and notify store management so they can uh, deal with it. We talk a lot about autonomous cars. Uh, all forms of transportation are becoming autonomous. Trains, planes, uh, even boats. The Japanese shipping company NYK uh, recently tested a, uh, a gigantic boat called Maritime Autonomous Surface Ship. That's what they call it. Uh, it's essentially a... Uh, a, a boat that's 650 feet long and carries thousands of cars and trucks. Uh, Japan, of course, is a big manufacturer of cars and trucks. And they uh, are working fast toward a future where the boats that take those trucks to export markets don't have a captain. They are autonomous. Uh, there's a company called ABB uh, partnering with Keppel Marine and Deepwater Technology, and they are developing an unmanned harbor tugboat 
So, you know, boats have to be taken in and out of harbors with tugboats. They're looking to make those autonomous. And you also, you know, there's a cyberpunk uh, vision of the future. Solar farms tend to exist way out in the middle of nowhere. They uh, come in two varieties. One variety is you just have massive fields of solar panels. They tend to be a few feet off the ground and are tilted uh, at a certain angle to maximize exposure to the sun. The other version is where you have a bunch of mirror, mirrors surrounding a central point and the sun is is concentrated and reflected up to that central point where uh, water is boiled and then it's essentially like a, uh, a power plant that, that uses that superheated water to move turbines and generate electricity, etc. In both cases, these ten, tend to be out in the middle of nowhere and there's a problem with weeds and things like that growing and casting shade on either the mirrors or the solar panels. And so there's a company called Renu Robotics that is designing autonomous tractors to mow the grass and the, and the weeds for solar farms. And of course, they're electric. Uh, and they are also working on robots that will spray herbicides and pesticides. You, you wanna, they want to kill the bugs uh, so that they don't attract birds, so that the birds don't crap all over the solar equipment. So just basically, you have, you're talking about big solar, imagine big solar plants, unmanned, nobody around, and robots going around, essentially killing life, because life gets in the way of uh, these, this solar equipment. Pretty weird. Um, a lot of people don't know that uh, offshore wind turbines um, tend to be repaired and inspected by drones these days. And these drones tend to be remotely operated. Uh, there are companies, uh, specifically there's a consortium of, of some universities uh, in the UK, I believe. They're working on drones that can do this work uh, autonomously without remote control. So they just turn the drones loose and they go and do their work. They inspect the drones. If there's a problem they can fix, they'll fix it. The mining industry is embracing autonomy. One company in Australia called Rio Tinto is working on automatic mining. They have a program called the Mine of the Future and it's partly remote controlled. I mean, they have a the NASA-like remote control room in Perth where they oversee the mining operations in a place called Pilbara. And they currently have about 140 autonomous trucks. And they also have an autonomous train to haul the mined minerals out of the site. And they also run an automated drilling system. So they're working toward a mine that is unmanned. And one of the benefits of this, of course, is that mines tend to be in hideously remote places where they don't exactly have a lot of facilities for humans to support human life. And people don't want to go out there, you know, because it's, it's, you know, it's away from everything. And so they're trying to automate those. Another company called Epiroc is uh, already in production on a platform called SmartRock, which is an autonomous drill rig, essentially drilling that happens autonomously. <clears throat> Some of the funnest autonomous 
uh, robots or machines are drone-like flying machines. So uh, one company called Flightbase has an autonomous drone system for indoor warehouses. Basically, these drones fly indoors. They take inventory. They scan barcodes. They basically feed data about exactly what is in the warehouse and what isn't in the warehouse into a system that can be that can be uh, looked at by whoever looks at those kinds of things. Another company called Exxon has a, an autonomous drone software platform called uh, Exxon AI. And this is used for underground space map- mapping and gold mines. So basically you have a gold mine that you have all this drilling that's taking place. You have essentially you know, man-made caves, the mines. And these drones are designed, the drones that use this platform uh, will fly around into these caves and mine uh, and mines and, and 3D map the entire space. So you get this, you get a map before any human enters this space. They can get a map of it. And it goes on and on and on. Uh, I, I love the Skydio system, the Skydio 2 dock is an outdoor outdoor charging base station for drones. So it's for any kind of autonomous drone-based monitoring, whether it's security or whatever it is. But you can imagine two or three of these things running in shifts. And, you know, one one of them takes off and does security or whatever it's doing. And then when its batteries get to a certain point, it comes back. Just landing on the base station triggers a process whereby that drone is charged the second drone can take off and pick up where that one left off and so on. And so you could, you know, imagine this happening 24 seven without any human interaction. And it's just, you know, it's just feeding data into a place where security people can, can monitor that data. It's pretty amazing. If you think about it. Now, here's the reason why this is going to change everything. It's not going to make things necessarily more convenient, but, but imagine, <clears throat> what all these things require autonomous things are not actually autonomous they have to be maintained they have to be secured that's the biggest thing right so you you can't have hackers controlling autonomous equipment drilling equipment and you know tanker trucks and all that stuff you can't have that that's really dangerous they have to be provisioned their batteries have to be uh, dealt with. The data, the massive amounts of data that they produce will have to be dealt with, meaning that will have to be offloaded, stored somewhere, be made available, that, that the, the access to that data will have to be uh, provided only to authenticated users. Who is an authenticated user and who isn't has to be dealt with. Uh, you know, employees come and go, somebody leaves, are they still authenticated? You know, can they get access? You know, all that stuff. So what you see is all of these tasks that used to be outside the world of IT are coming inside that world. So IT professionals are facing a world where because of the Internet of Autonomous Things, all these processes in a company are becoming IT's problem, essentially, adding to the workload, adding to the complexity of their work. 
And do we recognize this fact? You know, do, do company, do organizations recognize this fact? Are they adjusting their budgets accordingly and hiring? You know, if, if, if you think about uh, going from 1970 to the year 2070, okay, the number, you know, the percentage of a business that is part of the IT's responsibility probably goes from 0% to 100%. Right? We're, we're entering into a world where 100% of the business, including the crop dusting, including the shipping, including security, including everything, it's all IT's problem and responsibility. And it's hard work. You know, it's, hard, it's, it's complicated work. And the, the, the risks of getting this wrong are, are enormous. I mean, it's, 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 a, it's a much bigger deal for a DDoS attack to shut down a website. Uh, it's, it's a bigger deal, like, you know, controlling a, a drone full of poison pesticide by a hacker is a bigger deal than a DDoS attack that shuts down a website for two hours. You know, con taking remote control of a of a tanker full of uh, Toyota trucks and 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 running it into a harbor or whatever is a bigger deal than so. So we're we're ending in this world where the 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 Internet of Autonomous Things is making everything an IT problem, and I don't think people are really thinking of it that way. First of all, I don't think people realize the degree to which the internet of autonomous things is really going to start happening in a, in a widespread way. And secondly, I don't think they're thinking about the impact of turning every mechanical process into an IT system. Autonomy will provide enormous benefits to human safety. And of course, we know this with self-driving cars. They're going to be way safer than human drivers. Uh, and they'll also bring a certain level of safety to aviation. One of the cool things about the Cirrus aircraft, uh, Cirrus is kind of a high-end, pretty expensive personal airplane uh, for private pilots. Uh, it's a beautiful thing with a sort of futuristic dome-like top. But one of the crazy things about Cirrus uh, jets and, and planes are that they have a parachute system. So if you just feel like your airplane is going to stall or you're, you know, you're in some, uh, you're over a forest or something like that and you can't land, you can't just, you know, land the plane, you can, th you can pull a lever and a parachute would deploy and the entire airplane will just fall to the sky with its descent slowed by a parachute. Well, Cirrus Jet actually just came out with a new feature called the Safe Return Emergency Autoland System. Basically allowing passenger, like let's say that you know you, you, some, some people are uh, in an airplane and the pilot has a heart attack or something and can't land the plane. Uh, you can touch, you can press a button and the airplane will land by itself. How cool is that? If you love Mike Elgin Radio, please rate and review us wherever you get your podcasts. And if you don't love it, never mind. Thanks for listening.